Welcome to this week's Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. I'm coming to you semi-live from Haver, Montana. Yes, that's my hometown. Uh, the population of about 9,000. Hey, we got a McDonald's. We got about seven stoplights. You know, you can only drive 25 miles per hour in town. But uh, I came back home for the holidays, uh, for Christmas anyways, and then, um, you know, because I really wanted to experience the joy that is Montana in the wintertime. You'll hear me complain about it later with Larry, but it's, uh, I think it's about, let me look real quick now. This is, it's Friday afternoon, I'm taping this. Uh, that was, we were going to try and tape the podcast a little earlier, but Larry couldn't, couldn't do it. So right now it's 11 degrees. But with the wind chill of 8 miles an hour, or with the wind blowing 8 miles an hour, it feels like minus 1. It's supposed to get down to below 0. So it's going to be nice and warm and balmy here. Um, this week's podcast, as we mentioned last week, was about the Hall of Fame. I did my Hall of Fame ballot, my very first one. I've written something that's going on our site. This podcast will accompany it. Um, from a personal standpoint, it was it was harder than I thought. Obviously, some of the names are easy. Like, look, I've I've written so much and and studied Edgar Martinez's case so much, you know, because of this process, that I, I have an understanding of why I believe he's a Hall of Famer. So he was easy to put in. Jim Tomey, Chipper Jones, as Larry and I will discuss, I I felt was easy. But when I got down to about names eight or nine and ten, and I'm always probably going to put ten names on my ballot. I always feel like that's what you should do. Some people don't. Uh, one guy put one name, whatever. Uh, when I got down to nine or ten, it got a little more difficult, and and it's just, it's just not easy. You're you're analyzing. I mean, I think I wore out Baseball Reference and all the stuff that Jay Jaffe had written on Sports Illustrated. I went back and read several times. You know, you have an idea going into this uh, who you're going to vote for because each year. You know that I haven't been eligible. I still kind of put together my ballot in my head of who I would have voted for. Uh, so I had an idea coming into this, but at the same time, when you, when it gets in front of you and you're having to do this and you have to put your name next to it, and you know you're just going to get drilled on social media, um, you you do you do want to put some time into this. And, and for me, and I don't know about anybody else, but I've been waiting for this, and I'm not going to take it for granted by any means that I you know I got this now to be eligible you just have to be 10 years in the bbwa 10 consecutive years as a bbwa member uh, i got my card in 2008 that was my first full season covering the beat where i had to travel uh, i had covered the mariners for at the end of 2006 and 2007 as a backup so 2008 i got my membership and then i made it 10 straight years of unemployment at a newspaper first at the news tribune and out the times which might be more of a miracle and an accomplishment than actually getting the vote itself given how my temper tantrums, uh, my propensity to be mean to people on social media and things like that. But uh, I was pretty excited. Uh, I'm looking at the ballot now. I'm getting ready to send it in by snail mail in a little bit. I hope you read what I wrote because, you know, I talked just a little bit about some of my beliefs um, when it comes to this uh, and why I voted for each candidate. Obviously, I'm not going to do this every year. Uh, but this being my first one, they felt like I should write something because it is something that's different. And, and it's something that, you know, you do look forward to and you do want to do well. Um, I don't ever want to be associated as one of those guys that just doesn't give a crap about it and, or, you know, or doesn't put any thought into it. This is important. This is for one of the highest honors in baseball. And, and you know, I'm putting my name next to it. So I care. You know, I'm not going to same with when I vote for MVP or. Um, 
Cy Young or whatever, or even just when I write a story. I mean, if your name's going next to it, you have to have some level of personal pride here. So uh, I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Like I said, Larry and I discuss our ballots. Um, and we do discuss a little bit of the news of the day with the Mariners, which there is no news really other than Juan Nicasio signing his contract officially, two-year deal, I think $17 million, $17.5 million, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it does not look like the Mariners are going to sign a starting pitcher of note. They, I think they will sign one, as Larry and I discussed quickly, but I, I don't know that it's going to be what everybody's clamoring for. Um, and that's just kind of how it's been. Um, I don't expect any major moves in the coming weeks. Jerry, Jerry DePoto is spending some time with his family away. Uh, so, I, I, you know, obviously he's still working at all times, but I, I don't think we're going to see a major movement, partially because I think we haven't seen Darvish, Arietta, and all these other big pitchers and Lorenzo Cain. That mar- the free agent market is being held up because those other guys haven't signed yet. And some of the lower-level guys, you know, those guys kind of are played off of what these other guys do. There's a run on it. So maybe in the next week or two we'll see something, but I would expect maybe more by the first week of January we see a lot more movement from the free agent market. I do think the Mariners will get a pitcher. I just don't think it will probably be anybody that you guys are excited about. All right, so let's get to Larry Stone, and we'll start the podcast. All right, let's welcome in Larry Stone. Uh, where are you at, Larry? I am at home in uh, in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, scenic Bellevue. <laughs> scenic the, Bellevue. The palatial estate of the Stone family. That's right. I'm, I'm actually off this week, but uh, for you, I, co- I will come out of uh, vacation and do a podcast. You were writing today. Don't lie about it. You wrote today, <laughs> That's true. too. Okay. That's, That's, That's right. It's one thing about our jobs is when you're off, you're kind of off. I mean, unless you, unless you're like really gone, and even you know, I'm in Montana doing this stuff, so I, you never you're never truly off. No, you're not. You're right. And when news breaks uh, on your beat or whatever, if it's big news, you got to do it quickly. Any uh, Dick Enberg memories you want to share? Well, yeah, you know, I uh, uh, I grew up in Southern California, and he was one of the voices of my my generation, my youth uh, in Southern California. It was an incredible array of broadcasters. He had Vince Scully on the Dodgers, Enberg on the Rams and the Angels, and Chick Hearn on the uh, on the Lakers. Uh, there was a Hall of Famer on the uh, the L.A. Kings uh, named Bob Miller. Um, so I mean, it was just Hall of Fame announcers everywhere. And uh, you know, uh, I loved listening to Dick Enberg. Uh, got to meet him later in life. I uh, talked to him for a Dave Niehaus feature I did if, about 10 years ago, and he was very gracious. Um, you remember the show Sports Challenge? It was a sports quiz show. I used to love that when I was a kid. He was the host no, of that. No, Larry, let's, let's remember our age difference here. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but uh, I think he has one of the most recognizable, instantly recognizable voices and just uh, you know did all the major events and uh, – Particularly the Angels for me. That was the, uh, you know, I listened to all their games along with the Dodger games when I could. And 
Love, loved his announcing. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I remember him from uh, NBC Football with Merlin Olson and and Bob Trumpy. I think is who we used to do that with. And I, I also remember him from some of the Olympics and some of the tennis coverage. And then you know he was doing the Padres for the last few years, so you'd see him around obviously with the bitter rivalry that is the Vetter Cup that. Obviously, Dick Enberg had no concept of who Eddie Vedder was or the Vedder Cup, but he he always seemed really friendly. You know, you'd see him in the in the press box and things like that. So, you know, and he's and his his attachment to the Mariners with Dave Niehaus is is relatively important. Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, his uh, Enberg's trademark call was "Oh my." When something good happened, you go, oh, my. And I think Dave kind of incorporated that with his my, oh, my. They were partners for many years. Uh, and Dave was the second guy in the Angels booth. And, you know, he uh, he wanted to be, I think he wanted to be the lead broadcaster. And that's why he left in 77 to become the, the Mariners uh, guy when they had expansion. But, um those two had a very, very close kinship. And one other thing about Dave Enberg, or Dick Enberg, we we got to mention was his uh, his cameo role in uh, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, The Naked, Naked Gun. Gun. Yes, yeah, with the the uh, five person broadcast booth with uh, Jim Palmer, Mel Allen, Dick Vitale, Kurt Gowdy. Uh, Kurt, it might have been six-person booth, yeah. uh, Enberg, and then, of course, Dr. Joyce Brothers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. that was always great. Hey, I mean, it's not every day you get to call Frank Drebin acting as Enrico Palazzo as the umpire, as the as the anthem singer, and then as yeah. the umpire as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that baseball scene is is, is I, I still watch that about uh, once every uh, six months just just because I love it so much. I'll I'll pull out the old. Uh, the old tape and uh, oh my god, <laughs> watch it, watch it old school. My favorite part in that is in the baseball scenes, not the you know when the long strike call where he does like the moonwalk down the bases, yeah. but no, my favorite is when they they hit the pop up to the catcher and, and Leslie Nielsen grabs like six baseballs and throws them up yeah. in the air to go with the other guy. That's <laughs> probably my favorite part about that. I like the uh, when they show the uh, the blooper reel and the guy's arm falls off when he goes back oh, to yeah. catch the fly ball. <laughs> Emberg's face, Emberg's face. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. 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 yeah, very exactly. underrated movie. That's that's uh, you know, those those Naked Gun movies are all, one of my favorites. It's just not often either you see Reggie Jackson trying to kill the Queen of England. Yeah, you know, I they, I read once that they that once they, they were going to do more of them, but once the OJ thing happened, that was the end of it because OJ yeah. had a pretty prominent role. As Nordberg, <laughs> Lieutenant Nordberg. Nordberg. Yeah. Nordberg. Yeah. <laughs> he was always hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's good. We had to go through that. But, uh, I guess we'll go to a little bit of the news or lack thereof with the Mariners. Uh, first of all, Jake Arrieta that I know of was not meeting with Jerry DePoto because Jerry DePoto is not in Seattle. Jake Arrieta was in Seattle because many people let, sent me the Instagram that his wife took of pictures there uh, where they seem to be visiting the Space Needle and, I don't know, it looked like the uh, the EMP and some of the other stuff. But I don't think they're going to sign Jake Arrieta. I, I, don't, I don't know what you think, but I don't think that everything – and every indication that I've gotten when we were sitting there talking with Jerry DePoto – uh, down at the winter meetings, talking with sources, they're not signing Jake Arrieta. No, yeah, I hadn't heard. All, I've been kind of uh, off uh, the internet for a while, so I hadn't seen this uh, link to him being in Seattle. So that's news to me. But um, yeah, I would be stunned. Uh, you're right. I mean, all indications are that 
you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of laid low and maybe tried to get a bargain sign, uh, somebody whose value dropped, whose asking price dropped in like, and got a little desperate in late January or early February or something like that. But, you know, Arietta is not going to fall into that category. He's going to be a, a big ticket item. In a, they, unless G- Jerry is doing a, uh, a stealth move here and uh, um, he's and, – and, being coy, I just uh, I just don't see it, and that's usually not his mo by any means. He kind of just tells you what he's going to do. I, I don't think there's any secrets about it, but at least from what I've I've noticed, he says, "Look, I, I we want to get a pitcher." He went out and got Juan Nicasio. I mean, he hasn't said last year. He said he needed to get a starting pitcher. He traded for Drew Smiley. Didn't work out so well, but that's what he did. Yeah, he's transparent. He, I mean, when I talked to him at the winter meetings, he even said that he says, "I like." You know, telling you what we're gonna what we're gonna do. I mean, he didn't put it in so many that, that those exact words, but he doesn't believe in in misleading. And uh, uh, you know, if somebody drops in their lap, that's not misleading. But I, I think that was his intention was to to, to not go get somebody. But um, you know, it just it just. I mean, I I think Arietta would be great for this team. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, um, I I don't see any indication that that's going to happen. I mean, it it's perplexing. It's fans believe they should sign a starting pitcher, another one, a relatively named starting pitcher. You and I have talked about it endlessly about our belief that their their rotation is not what we consider uh, commensurate with the rest of the league. I'm not saying the Angels have a great rotation by any means. I don't think theirs is very good. I think the Mariners actually have a better bullpen than the Angels. But I still think if they want to really ensure themselves of fighting for that second wild card spot or even the first wild card spot that uh adding to their starting pitching would be ideal or or necessary for that matter yeah i mean if you dropped uh, you know mike leak became a number four starter or something like that and uh erasmo's your number five um behind uh paxton let's say felix and the the new addition that <laughs> the unnamed un uh probably non-existent addition then that's a you know that's a rotation you could you could uh, go to war with you know go to the season with but right now you're going to have a Roswell number four and then a, a cast of who knows what for number five Marco Gonzalez and Andrew Moore and, and those type guys battling it out um, you know then it's a little more problematic I mean I guess you could they could also try and you know go for the first month or two and then maybe add a pitcher at the deadline. But, you know, that's assuming you could stay in it for that long to then add a pitcher to be a difference maker. I don't know. I I know pitching is hard to come by for trades. Uh, free agency is different. I mean, it's a dollars thing, and I know they've got a lot of dollars committed. But it just – and I do think they'll sign a starting pitcher. I, I just don't think it'll be, you know, Alex Cobb or Hugh Darvish or Arietta or even Lance Lynn. I think it'll be kind of a lesser guy. You know the Trevor Trevor Cahill types maybe, but yes, yeah, Dan Dan Straley somebody. Yeah, like that. I mean Dan Straley they have to trade for, but who who else? Jesse yeah. Chavez, um, somebody like that. I I just I don't think it's going to be a named guy, and that's kind of how yeah. they're going to go into the season. I mean Jerry, you know, <laughs> I think he gets tired of me always bringing it up because I brought it up in our last interview with him. You know, again, I've never said we needed starting pitching. I said no. I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think if 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 he says it enough times, maybe uh, maybe I'll maybe, believe it. 
maybe you'll believe it and everyone else will. But uh, until then, I'm as skeptical as you. And, you know, here it comes back again uh, to their their lack of prospects. You know, you have guys out there like Chris Archer and uh, Garrett Cole. And, you know, there's some really pretty good pitchers that may be on the market. And yet the Mariners can't even get into that game because they can't come close to having what it takes to get a pitcher like that because their their farm system is so dried up of top-notch prospects. Yeah, it'd be like me and you trying to get into like one of those fancy Vegas clubs. They're not even letting us in the door. <laughs> exactly. Well, you maybe. Oh, I don't not know. Me. Not that I really want to go to one of those clubs, but no. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where they're at. I, I do, Like I said, I do think because of the way the market is – I'm sure you find this weird that none of those guys, there's been no free agents that really, the bigger ones that have signed. It's all been a bunch of middle relievers. I mean, Lorenzo Cain's sitting out there. I mean, he really is hurt by the the um, the qualifying offer. And everybody thought with the new CBA that the qualifying offer wouldn't be as punitive, but teams are still shying away from that, especially teams that are near the luxury tax or over it where they lose the first and the third, I think it is. They're, they're not going to mess around with it. So Lorenzo Cain sitting out through, I think, is a pretty damn good player. You got all the pitchers still out there. Eric Hosmer is still out there. I mean, the the bigger free agents are sitting out there waiting to get signed. I I wonder when this is all going to happen. Yeah, I mean, nothing will happen probably till the, the there's this holiday uh, uh, hiatus. You know, nothing will. You know, sometimes things happen, but my guess is that nothing will happen till after the first of the year, and then you know, players start to get antsy. It's spring training is uh, you know about a month away at that point, and you want to know where you're going, so. I uh, I think a lot of teams sort of prey upon that and uh, uh, try to get players who might just to get some finality and some certainty in their lives will take a little less than they had anticipated. And with so many out there, I mean, you look at the first base market, there's like eight first basemen out there and there aren't eight first base jobs. So, you know, guys, some Duda and uh, Lomo and uh, Hosmer and, uh, you know, there's a, there's there's uh, Napoli. There's other, as you saw the list of it, it goes on and on. And uh, I mean, some of those guys might just say, "Get me!" You know, I don't want to be the the odd man out here. Uh, so I think there's going to be some of that that happens. But the the, the uh, there's a, there's also a lot of, uh, you know, premier guys who still haven't signed. So that'll be interesting. I haven't listened to this week's episode of Jerry's Wheelhouse. Actually, I haven't listened to like the last few. So maybe he's talked about this stuff. I I don't know. I'm, I'm protesting the wheelhouse right now unless I absolutely have to listen to it. Well, I, uh, I shouldn't even say this because we're doing a podcast, but I'm not a podcast No, person. you don't know how to I like to, down. I like to, I like to read. I like to, I'm a reader. You know, I wish if, if a podcast, if somebody could, could transcribe it, I'd love it. But uh, who has the time? That's like an God, audio book. I, 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 this is a real advertisement here for our podcast, but this is a generational thing. I'm uh I'm not in the podcast generation. I'm happy to do it and have other people listen to it, but uh, uh, never mind. I shouldn't have even opened my mouth. Wow! But. Wow! That's, I can't. I don't even know how to edit it out. So I, we're just gonna have to stay. <laughs> this is how bad we are. Uh, I I do have fun doing it though. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get to let's get to our all star or to all star to all Hall of Fame ballots. All right. So Larry released his on Tuesday. I'm going to read mine out right now, and then I'm going to let Larry offer his criticism on my ballot because you'll see why. <laughs> so I voted going in alphabetical order, uh, looking at my ballot that I have filled out, and I'm getting ready to send it. Hey, do I have to put a stamp on that envelope, or is that already No, no, it's pre-stamped. We're, BBWAA is a first-class organization. I don't, it's, it's funny, though. Every time you know somebody 
uh, takes a picture of their ballot and puts it on Twitter, mm-hmm. there's always people who say, a paper ballot? <laughs> and and just uh, think it's hilarious that in 2017 we're still mailing in a paper ballot. Uh, we, and I, we can't even, yeah, you have to mail it in. I, I think I wrote that in my piece. I, I'm, I'm writing a story or a column, I guess is what it was, just kind of explaining my my ballot since it's my first one ever. But yeah, I mentioned that, that we're using snail mail, which is very <laughs> fitting for a group of mostly middle-aged white males that are stuck in you know the past. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why we we don't go to at least emailing in your ballots, but I think there's something sort of quaint about the fact that it's still done the I mean, I've been this is my 22nd or 23rd ballot and it hasn't changed a bit. I mean, the format is exactly the same as it was in uh, 1996 when I sent in my first one. I didn't uh I can't remember my BBWA badge number. I'm a chapter chairman too and I can't remember it. And I don't have it with me in Montana. <laughs> So, yeah, I uh, I had to get my card out and look at it. I certainly don't have it committed to memory. I'm I'm number eighty four now, and, oh, that means which, you're old. which which is old because I you start out at your first year you're at the it's it's done chronologically, so uh, the newest members have the highest, and then as people die or or retire, you move up in numbers. So I've moved up from like in the five hundreds to now number eighty four, which is very sobering. Yeah, I think I'm in the 300s now. I was like at the 500s. I mean, the 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 number of BBWA members has increased too because we added the MLB.com guys and some other guys. So that's helped me out a little bit. One time I was <laughs> in 1990, I was at the uh, NLCS in Cincinnati, and I'm I was there was a little party for the media, and I met a guy named Ritter Collette with a Dayton paper, and within like 30 seconds of our conversation, he told me that he was number one. The he had the number one card of wow. the Baseball Writers Association. It was like the proudest thing in his life. He was telling everybody this, but you don't want to be number one because that means you probably have a foot in the grave. Yeah, he didn't keel over in the middle of the party. Didn't he? <laughs> he he didn't last too much longer after that. But uh, <laughs> you know, great great journalist, great guy, but. Uh, he was he was in his by that point he was in his early eighties I think. Okay, well we'll go over my ballot. So in alphabetical order, I have Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, Edgar Martinez, Mike Mussina, Kurt Schilling, Jim Tomei, and Larry Walker. What complaints that's do you a, have about my ballot, Larry? That's a that's a, I mean that is an embarrassing, incompetent. <laughs> wait, oh wait, that's my ballot exactly too. <laughs> yeah, I had about se- I, I was looking on the tracker about seven other ballots as well, so I, I didn't yeah. feel bad. We don't yeah, share. That's... Look, there was no there was no collusion. There was no collusion between me and Larry. None. No collusion. I'm gonna I'm gonna well, actually hashtag that when I post that. <laughs> well, I mean, my ballot is. The six holdovers from last year. So I mean, there I'm, uh, and the year before, and the year before, and the year before, or uh, or uh, seven holdovers, and there were three people who went in uh, last year. So there's three new spots on the ballot, which to, which are almost no brainers for Tomei and uh, Chipper Jones, and so that left one extra spot. So I added Larry Walker back. I had voted for Larry Walker. Uh, his first three years on the ballot, and then because of the rule of 10, where you could only vote for 10, he got bumped off because there was a, a several crops of really good classes that sort of usurped him. But now, uh, with three openings, he went back on my ballot. So 
really, my ballot's the same ballot I've had all along for year after year. It's just that uh, uh, there were a couple openings this year for the two new guys and Larry Walker. Well, I think, obviously, because you and I have discussed the ballot so much, that there is you have some influence. I mean, that might be the only influence you have on me, because <laughs> otherwise, you know, I'm like the... I'm like your uh, the son you never wanted to have in terms of being ornery and, and stubborn and everything else. Well, my son thinks you're the dad. He sometimes I think he, you're the dad that he wishes he had. Yes. I think uh, I think he uh, he likes uh, you almost as much as me. But uh, that's because you don't have to like discipline him or anything like that. You just get to do the fun stuff. Exactly. Well, I mean, but I think that's part of it, though. Is like you and I talking about this, you know, and. To be honest, we've always kind of thought similarly about the game in a lot sure. of ways. So, and I don't know. I mean, let's let's go through it a little bit uh, on the newcomers. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, Chipper Jones and, and Jim Tomey were kind of no brainers to vote in. You know, you look at their accomplishments. Chipper is one of the one of the most productive third basemen of all time, and Jim Tomey hit six hundred and some home runs. I mean, that's usually, you know, just on counting stats alone on Jim Tomey, that's pretty significant. Whereas Chipper, I mean, I. I because he's been around so long, I think people forget how truly great he was as a switch hitting third baseman. Yeah, I mean, both of those to be. I mean, there you can look at the the polling on, uh, you know, the, the site that does the polling. They're both well over ninety percent, almost a hundred percent. So there's a lot of unanimity there. On I, I mean, he's, they're they're two of those guys that's really hard to make a case against. Uh, you know, the, the of the other of the newcomers. Uh, there was a few other guys that I would have loved to have vote for and may vote for down the line. Scott Rowland is a guy that I think a lot of people don't realize how good he was. When you you know you look at his WAR, I think it's in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's one of those kind of uh, hidden hidden great players that is a lot better the closer you look at him. You know Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones. He was on a Hall of Fame trajectory and then he just kind of fell flat at the second half of fat. his career. Yeah, he got fat, and I mean, he went from being uh, the best center fielder in the league to being kind of this plodding fat guy. It swung um, for the power after that, like when he was at the Yankees and everything. Exactly. Yeah, you look at his early numbers. Uh, he was headed for the Hall of Fame, but he's a, he's a not quite guy. Omar Vizquel is a he's the most interesting guy on this ballot because people are so split on him. You know, most fans think he should be automatic, or many fans. The Sabre community thinks it's a joke. Any vote for him is an absolute joke. So somewhere in between the truth lies. You know, I'm going to give I'm going to give Omar strong consideration, and I may very well vote for him. That, that's one where I don't want to fall in with a crowd of, uh, oh, he's he's he, he's not that good. Uh, you know, I, I I think he was a great defensive player who the defensive metrics may not do justice in his case. Well, I don't think, and one thing is, I don't think. You know, with with they don't have defensive metrics back then to measure how good of a defensive player he was. It's all based exactly. On, there's no there's no metric to tell you that. You know, a product of his overall counting numbers, his total hits and stuff, his longevity for as long he, as he played. But he was also a viable player long enough to be able to play for that long. So I I, I didn't vote for him. I think he I I wrote the same thing that he's very polarizing. And I and there is no way that somebody that played as long as Egg, as Omar did and and have the success that he did have, consider and say it's a joke one way or it's automatic the other. I mean, because there's no way I look at him and say, oh, yeah, he's automatic. But there's no way I look at him and say, oh, it's a joke either. I mean, and, and no, even I if know. there were, even if there were defensive metrics, the people that make these defensive metrics already admit that 
things like UZR and defensive run saved are still flawed metrics. They're far from imperfect. So, I, I mean, I just I, I don't know how they can sit there and make that justification right away, knowing that, you know, they don't have the one of the things that they usually fall back on. Yeah, and I, I mean, I looked at, there were, I think Jay Jaffe had four or five different defensive metrics on Omar, and they had a huge range from really very good to uh, just average. <laughs> you know, I don't know how Omar Vizquel could come out as average on, on any defensive reckoning, but it, it does happen. I mean, he had 2,877 hits. He was 133 or 123 hits shy of 3,000, you know, which which used to be an automatic benchmark for, for the Hall of Fame. I know there are no automatic benchmarks anymore, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of hits. And, you know, his his on-base percentage wasn't great. 336 his slugging percentage was very poor 352 you know i think a lot of people think he's he's sort of the ozzy smith of of the next generation similar somewhat similar offensive numbers i think ozzy is regarded as a even better shortstop defensively than omar but you know omar i think in his time and by his peers was regarded as as the top defensive shortstop around in an era of a lot of good ones. So, uh, you know, I'll, this wasn't the year for him just because of the ballot, but, but his, you know, his, the, the time will come when I'll give him much more serious consideration. And, you know, if, if it goes the way it's looking now with four guys and maybe five going in, there's going to be a lot of room on next year's ballot. Yeah, very much so. And, and the one thing is, is, you know, he, it looks like Omar is going to get enough to meet, meet the percentages to stay on the ballot, which is what, 10%? Is that what you have to have? Ah, gosh. Um, I can't remember. Off the no, it's 5%. 5%. I think, 5%. I think it's only 5%, yeah. yeah. So, that, I mean, then that would keep him on the ballot then. So, I I mean, that's, you know, going back to Roland, we were talking about this a little bit, but, you know, if you look at Roland's numbers offensively, he has better offensive numbers than Brooks Robinson. Now, Brooks Robinson is considered one of the greatest defensive third basemen of all time. I mean, that's, you know, without – that's without argument. But Roland has got very good offensive numbers that are comparable. It's comparable to Ron Sano as well, who's in, but he was in, in in the modern era, the kind of modern era voting. But he is. You know, and he at the at the time when Roland was playing, he was considered to be the best defensive third baseman in baseball, kinda of like the way Beltre is right now. Yeah. I mean Santa was not voted in by the baseball writers fifteen years he Yeah. He he voted, you know, much to his agony, and then he didn't make it the first three or four times with the veterans committee. It wasn't until he, you know, after his death, unfortunately, yeah. that he that he finally finally got in. Uh, it's going to be a tough road for Roland. I mean, he's gonna he's not going to be. I think he'll be comfortably remaining on the ballot, but I don't think he's going to pass like twenty percent. So. Uh, but these things can, I mean, you know, there was a time when Edgar was in the 20s. He, the, the, the sentiments and shift, it, it's amazing how that happens, but, but it does. And, uh, I mean, look at Edgar now. He's riding this incredible wave of momentum in the mid-80% range. Uh, it's gone from, I thought there was no chance he'd get in this year, that he had a good shot next year to maybe he does have a shot this year the way it's going yeah it's weird that way uh to get back to that um yeah let's let's go into that real quick because they were just posting some stuff today i saw mm-hmm. on from uh from mr not mr tibbs ryan thibodeau um he had got he was on like 20 straight ballots 
Right. And from this morning, with 88 ballots revealed, uh, Edgar is on 86% of them. That'll go up, obviously, with my ballot going in, or I'll give it to, I'll send it to him today. Um, but the one thing that kind of made me, you know, crook an eyebrow up a little bit on that, you know, Edgar is nice, and it's nice that he's at 86%, but Clemens and Bonds, Clemens is at 74%, and Bonds is at 73%. And you know there's a huge faction of voters that will never vote for those guys because they're, they're uh, uh, steroid, they're related to the PED scandal. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think Edgar is, is going to fall into that. You might, we're, we're ten, we've talked about this before, but the people who send their votes in on Twitter and blog about it and all that, podcast about it, uh, the ones who don't do any of that stuff are the votes that come in at the end or, you know, maybe never become public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, I think, tend to be more conservative, older people who would hold a grudge about the uh, the steroids, might have an anti-DH stance. So, you know, Edgar's, it, it's almost like when you're counting an election and, you know, all the uh, Democratic counties uh, were counted first and one candidate's way ahead, but you know the Republican-leaning uh, uh, counties still still to come. So you have to have a big lead if you're going to hold on. Edgar's, I think, has got to be in the mid-80s uh, going into the end to withstand probably a drop at the end that's inevitably going to come. So, But he's way, way above where he was last year at this time, and he ended up almost at 60%. So, uh, you know, if it if it keeps trending in this direction, um, you know, I think it's going to be, it's looking to me like it's going to be like nip and tuck uh, for him. Could could go either way. I, I agree. I, I think that's, you know, I, I kind of was always firm that it was going to be 69 to 70%, but maybe he gets even closer than that. I mean, to even get to that close, that would be a huge, huge lift in, to, in the idea that he would probably make it in his final year because you would get the push of a guy being in the final year of his ballot. Uh, I mean, the Mariners themselves, they aren't lacking in putting stuff out there on social media, that's for certain. They they have something every day. Yeah, and I wonder how much the fact that people are looking at this uh, Not Mr. Tibbs counter and they're seeing vote after vote for Edgar. If you haven't filled out your ballot yet, it might make you rethink that. It's like, wait, what am I missing here? This, yeah. uh, And uh, I think that will benefit him sort of, you know, you can call it groupthink or, or uh, whatever, but... Um, you know, I think that there is a certain momentum that comes with that builds on itself, and I think that's what's happening in a good way for Edgar right now. Not to go on a rant, but you know what? What's not going to help Edgar in the voting process? The resolution by the the representatives from to Pramara Jayapal and everything. We got that email last night. And I just <laughs> I want nothing to do with this. I'm sorry, but that's like my biggest pet peeve is sports people or like politicians attaching themselves to like a sports thing that's trending right now you know and, and edgar certainly is and it's like oh yeah let's jump on and do a resolution for edgar what does it mean i don't know i it, it essentially means nothing but it was a way I'm for them sh- to get their name out there you know <laughs> i doubt if that will sway one single vote and uh hopefully it won't uh, uh, dissuade somebody from voting for it yeah, I hopefully it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna. Well, they're not in my district, so that's my my politi- my political rant for the day. <laughs> I find that I find it very disingenuous of any politician of either party to insert themselves into the sports debate just because it's a popular thing of the moment and it's trying to like show you, hey, I I know stuff about sports. I'm a sport guy. 
sport and person. In, invariably, when they do that, they get it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> they, like, they, what was it, Mac McGuire and Sammy Suser? Yeah, that? Sammy Suser. That was Ta- Ted was Kennedy. That? Ted Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, that that happens. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Oh, yeah. You okay. that uh, I think that that does you far uh, more damage than you know trying to latch on to uh, a successful athlete does you good when you when you botch it, and it just shows that you're a you know you you're you, you don't know what you're just you're just bandwagon jumping. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not out there talking about zoning and plat di- distribution for different areas <laughs> of Seattle. Stay in your lane. Exactly. All right. All right uh, let's see what else. Um, anything else on the? I mean, you know, I'm looking at these guys. We've talked about the PED guys before, and I, and I, I talked with Jay Jaffe a little bit about it. It was kind of my thinking. This is like that whole era. It's hard to define who or who wasn't using, because there certainly could be players that are currently in now that may have used and that you don't know about. They never tested positive. And also, I think the biggest thing is once you know Bud Selig got voted in, he helped oversee that whole era when it was rampant. Now he brought in the testing. Don't get me wrong; he he brought in the testing, but for a long time, uh, baseball turned a blind eye to it. And one of the main leaders of that is in the Hall of Fame. I I, I certainly don't think that you can keep guys out because of that. Yeah, you know that this is the fundamental decision you you kind of have to make when you become a, a Hall of Fame voter or when these guys came on the ballot like seven or eight years ago how are you how are you going to come down on uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, Rafael Palmero, uh, Sammy Sosa all these guys who have links to steroids one way or, or another and uh, you know that the line I drew was I never voted for Palmero or Manny because they were uh, they were busted test either tested positive or suspended uh, you know, after the testing went in place, and uh, you know Manny Ramirez certainly is a Hall of Famer by any standard statistically that you can uh, as is Palmero. come up as is Palmero. You know, three thousand Palmero is three thousand five hundred, three thousand hits, five hundred homers, which there's only like four people who have done that. But he he barely lasted on the ballot because um, he tested positive. Manny was busted twice. Uh, but the other guys, I agree with. You know, I've certainly stated that many many times that the all the things that you said and it's you know there's more and more guys who are from this era and a few of them are sneaking into the hall of fame piazza bagwell about whom there are some there were some suspicions uh you know as those guys get in and it uh, it gets harder and harder to sort of think that somebody might be a steroids guy I, you know, Bonds and Clemens, I have little doubt that Bonds use steroids, but uh, there's other guys that I have a lot of doubt about. So it's just hard to, to know for sure. And, uh, I mean, Bonds was the best player of that generation. I don't think it's it's right to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Clemens was the greatest right-handed pitcher of that generation, too. Just... Right. I mean, you, you're getting to the point where you can have a Hall of Fame without – uh, the, the best right-handed hitter, uh, pitcher, the, the best slugger, you know, Alex Rodriguez is probably not going to make it. You know, certainly one of the top five players of all time if you throw away, you know, all the baggage and stuff, or maybe top ten players of all time. You'd need, a, he, you'd need one of those garbage barges in Jersey to take away all of Alex's baggage, but yes. <laughs> yeah, but if you look, talking about pure statistics, Oh, uh, accumulation. I mean, he's he's 
he was incredible. Oh yeah, no, he yeah. was for whatever. And and this is kind of like the the Kurt Schilling thing a little bit is like he he's a loathsome human being. He's a rampant self promoter. He's you know borderline racist on some levels in some of the things he says. But you know if you look at statistically some of the stuff he's done, that probably makes you know you're not supposed to vote just because the guy is kind of a jerk doesn't mean you really don't vote him for the the hall of fame yeah no i mean i hate his i hate his uh, politics <laughs> but uh i just threw that i just put that away and looked at his baseball case to me that's all that, that i mean to be hypocritical to to not vote for him just because just for that and uh you know if you look at him he's he's another guy he, him and musina are both uh, a lot better, I think, than a lot of people think. They, they kind of are two of a kind to me. Um, you know, the day of the th- 300 win pitcher is just not there anymore. It's yeah. just not going And so you can't use that as your standard. And you, and you can't even use wins as your standard anymore. I mean, it's a new era. Um, yeah, no, and, I mean, obviously, we've spent a lot of time, there's been a lot of discussion about how flawed the win statistic is. Um, and so, obviously, you're not using that. But I, I don't – the way pitchers are used now, I can't imagine if there ever is going to be another 300-win pitcher. Is there? I think there will be. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there will be somebody that will come along like a Randy Johnson or a Nolan Ryan who will be good into their 40s. I mean, CC Sabathia has 240 wins, I think, 230 wins. He's only 35 or 36. He's not going to get there, but let's say he was uh, – you know, he had a late career revival, and I mean, he's—it's not out of the question that he could do it. Um, yeah, he's you know, Mark, thirty-six. So the the, okay. the most the active wins leader right now. Do you know who that is? He has two hundred and forty. It's not Sabathia. No, Sabathia has two thirty-seven. Uh, do, oh yeah, the 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 big man, uh, <laughs> Bartolo. Uh, Bartolo Colon. Yeah. yeah. So Bartolo has two forty at age forty-four. Sabathia is 237 at age 36. And then the next most. I mean, he's got to win. Uh, so he's got to win 63 games, uh, you know, at 36. That's not out of the question. But I, I just, my, my hey, point is. Without run just support think, he's going to get, that's possible. Yeah. And he's certainly figured out a way to to get weak contact. You know, he doesn't have the, the stuff. You know, he used to be a 100-mile-an-hour guy. Now he's a finesse uh, junk baller more or less but he's he's figured out a way to get weak contact and with that that lineup if he can throw up a you know a couple of 18 win seasons uh let's say that'll put him at 36 and then then he'll just probably hang around long enough to get it yeah, so i I've, I've felt all along that it's not that you can't say that will never happen again i just think it'll be far fewer than it was the next after Sabathia, the next most wins by an active pitcher is 188. Two pitchers have it. Any guesses? 188. Uh, one's done it in 15 seasons. The other one's done it in 13 seasons. Let's see. Cole Hamels hasn't been around that yeah. long, has he? Uh, I don't know. I'm just drawing a blank right now. John Lackey and Mrs. Kate Upton have 188 uh. wins each. Yeah, uh, Felix might have 188 if he didn't have all those one to nothing and two to one yeah. losses yeah. in his, Zach in his Grinke, career. And then it goes Zach Grinke at 172. Felix Hernandez, 160. He's 226 all time. He's at 160. John Lester, 159. 
Well, Felix is a classic example of why wins and losses should matter much because he yeah. truly would have well, how many more twenty to thirty more wins yeah. with with uh, offensive support uh, during his during his heyday. Yeah, I would, so, I would agree, and that's it's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, so we, we're not going to use the wins, but I, I I look at I looked at Musina and and um, Schilling, and I thought it was a a pretty good, you know, I thought they were. Of the pitchers, you know that that are out there, I I would say that they're at least close to Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm they're not you know automatics like you look at them and say, oh yeah, they're definitely in. But when you look upon further inspection, you use things like WAR and and all these other things. I I think then that's when you kind of determine when they're getting that they're getting in. Yeah, and then you throw in the postseason, particularly Schilling. Yes. Uh, you know, extraordinary. Uh, you know, Musina had the numbers right in front of me. He was he, he won 270 games, only lost 153. I think that's one of the best win loss percentages uh, around. And uh, you know, th- th- 270 wins in his era is almost like th- is probably this, uh, uh, lines up with 300 wins in the previous era. Oh yeah, so I, I would agree. I, I, I like I, I it was easier for me to vote Musina than it was Schilling, and it wasn't just because of like the personal. Just the little more longevity. Although Schilling's got a ton of strikeouts too, he struck out a lot of guys. He does, yeah. I mean, he's a, a, maybe top ten all time. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, you know, a great strikeout ratio, strikeouts to walks ratio, and all that. Yeah, and then I mean, the other ones are pretty simple. I, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna vote Mariano Rivera in next year, um, which he'll be on the, I think he's on the ballot next year, right? Uh, yeah, he'll be. Yeah, he 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 has a shot to be the first unanimous guy. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't think it'll ever be one, but um, particularly now that we voted, or that the uh, Hall of Fame decided against the best baseball writers' vote to not reveal the votes. Yeah. So there's no there's no peer pressure on being known as the person who didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. or whatever. Um, but yeah. So uh, I think you're going to talk about Trevor Hoffman, so I'll let you. Yeah, no, finish. I mean, just yeah. If, if if Trevor Hoffman was the first pitcher to get 500 saves, he's the first pitcher to get 600 saves. You know, you know, he he's second all time. I I just think if if you're gonna, in the era of closers and 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 that being a viable position, similar to the DH that you, it's just been around and how they use them. I mean, you have to reward somebody for that kind of longevity, and success. You know. I, I, I didn't have a problem voting with them. I know some people are anti-closers and stuff, but this is how the game is played. You can't punish a, a pitcher because that's the role that he's used in. And, you know, I mean, he had he had 14 seasons where he saved 30 or more games and nine seasons where he saved 40 or more. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good for a bad team sometimes, too. Yeah, I mean, the guy that's really interesting that's on this ballot and – I got a lot of emails about how could you vote for Trevor Hoffman and not vote for this guy. Billy is Billy Wagner, mm-hmm. who Billy, Billy Wagner's stats in many ways, other than saves, are superior to uh, oh. Trevor Hoffman's. Yeah. Um, but he had 422 saves, so that's almost 200 fewer than Hoffman did. You know, the save is a flawed stat and all that, but uh 600 is an extraordinary number 601 specifically for for Hoffman um you know Wagner is another you know once Hoffman goes in Wagner I think will get a lot closer look because it it, it really is uh hard not to vote for for Wagner if you vote for Hoffman I mean he had a better ERA he had better strikeout numbers uh 
you know, in a lot of ways, they were better across the boards other than other than saves. Uh, his whip was better, you know, all that stuff. And their war was almost identical. So, um, you know, Wagner's one to, but, you know, he's not, he's, he's one of those classic guys where you just never considered him a Hall of Famer, where you always considered Hoffman a Hall of Famer, but you didn't, you know, Scott Rowland, same way. That That's something they have to overcome is the, just sort of the, the eye test kind of thing and the perception kind of thing. And you have to maybe wrap your brain around the fact that he was better than you thought he was. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure it'll be a little different. Like you said, it, it's weird. It goes in trends and then thinking changes when information comes out, you know, the, the more, the more stuff comes out, the information changes, people, you know, they get more progressive in their thinking. At least you hope that it's anyways. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, Edgar's, benefiting from that right now there's been some campaigns on his behalf people looking at things differently you know time changes the perception of the dh you've got you've got or i think what helps him is you've got ortiz who's going to be on the ballot in two or three years and everybody thinks ortiz is a surefire hall of famer and then you have people making the case that you know edgar is better than ortiz in almost everything except postseason numbers and uh and total home runs so if if ortiz is a slam dunk it's hard to not justify edgar being a, a hall of famer as well yeah definitely i'm trying to think who else who else is going to be on the ballot next year besides rivera do you know off the top of your head yeah i just i just looked at it and i tweeted something about it uh, uh todd helton is going to be he's like uh very similar to larry walker who you and i both voted for mm-hmm. uh in that he has people are going to say oh he's a product of Coors Field you know I think Larry Walker was was great before he got to Coors Field Mm -hmm. and was great away from Coors Field and was a great defensive player um you know I think Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer I mean he's uh he's got uh you know just because he played in Coors Field doesn't mean you have to penalize him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you don't reward him for him, but not penalize him. And I, I kind of looked at, you know, Edgar Martinez is a, he's a DH. He has that stereotype against him. I, I thought again, hypocritical maybe to hold Coors Field against Larry Walker and and to be an advocate for uh, Edgar Martinez. Yeah. Um, so you have Helton uh, and Rivera. oh Andy Pettit. Andy Andy, Andy Pettit, Pettit is yeah. on. Yeah, and. Uh, those are the main guys. There might be one other one, but I can't. I can't. See I mean, Berkman. I'm looking at Berkman oh. and Michael Young, but I, I don't. You know. Nah, no, not quite. Those are not quite guys. Pettit Kevin, was an Kevin Euclid is on there. He's a Hall of Fame <laughs> sweater. He sweated more than anybody. The uh, Greek god of uh, walks. The Greek god of walks. Yeah, I forgot about that famous line. Uh, well, um, one guy we haven't talked about is Vlad Guerrero, but to oh. me, he's he's uh, he was an automatic. I voted for him last year's first year on the ballot. I mean, he was a guy his whole career had the aura of a Hall of Famer to me, and uh, I think he's going to sail in this year. He got seventy one seventy one point seven percent last year in his first year. Um, I think he'll sail across this year and go in as he as he as he should, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean his. It, you, you know, you look at. I was reading the Jaffe stuff on him and, and looking like at the Jaws ratings and stuff. It doesn't like his WAR and stuff isn't quite as great. His base running, which is really weird because they celebrate the fact that he's 
30 for 30. You know, he had 30, 30, two 30, 30 seasons, but they also, his base running is really bad at the end because you remember how, remember him running at the very end when he couldn't hardly. Move? Oh yeah. He was just, it was painful. It was like watching Edgar in his final years. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you wonder, you wonder what playing on turf did to some of those guys. I mean, Vlad and Larry, I mean, I wrote about it, but Larry Walker from playing on turf and the way he played all those years in Montreal, that, that had to take just years off his career. Yeah, well, Junior Ken Griffey. Yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was beat up in the second half of his career because of the, playing the first half at the Kingdom. You know, it definitely definitely takes a toll. No question. All right. Um, so it's a few days. You got the you got the mixed religion family. How do you do that in the holidays, anyways? <laughs> uh, we just celebrate it all. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, but it's been kind of a, it's been a weird year just for a variety of reasons this year. So the holidays have kind of snuck up on us without much uh, preparation or uh, involvement <laughs> for some some health things and some uh, some other things. But uh, everything's good. Everything's good now. Oh yeah, well, that's good. I mean, you're not going to get anything good. You're not going to get anything good for the holidays. No presents. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really. Uh, haven't even thought too much about it. I'm I'm not a big I'm not a big uh, gift getter. I know my my kids are always asking me what do you, what do I want? We have like a a family. Uh, we started a couple years ago a uh, uh, what do they call them a gift exchange? Gift exchange and you, know, you sp- there's, there's a website and you're supposed to put your wish list oh. and I and I haven't put anything on there yet because I can't think of anything that I want. So so whoever drew me is is upset that I haven't helped them out at all. But I, I uh, usually just <clears throat> like, as you get older, obviously you can't, uh, you just buy it. Like if you want something, you just buy it. Like for me, I mean, I like shoes. I like sneakers. So, and Larry knows this. I, I buy <laughs> a lot of sneakers or jeans, you know, or, you know, whatever, or booze. I mean, that's one good thing you can always get me for Christmas is a bottle of booze. So you got any, yeah, tra- you, you got any you, traditions? You made a cl- Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Uh, tra- traditions? Uh, not really. No, <laughs> we're pretty, pretty boring when it comes to that. How about you? How about the divishes? You, well, you don't got any favorite foods or anything like that, or you, you just, we- uh, you know, we, we never really went big into the Christmas meal or anything like that. Yeah. Um, we always buy my wife a. Uh, well, here's a tradition. It's a small one, but she loves the the night before Christmas. So every year we find a new book uh, of that for her oh. to get. Like I like one that's, you know, uh, there's a. It's amazing how many different editions of the night before Christmas. She's she's got like thirty of them. Wow. And they're all they're all different. Some are pop up books. Some are spoken word. Um, uh, all you know, one one time. The, the we the family read the we we each read different verses and recorded it so <coughs> excuse me um so that's about the the biggest tradition that we have that's i guess a, that's a pretty cool tradition though yeah so i haven't been home for christmas in quite a while uh you know usually uh part of my job in the off season like that month of december usually the seahawks are really good and so it's getting close to playoff time, so I have to start helping Bob Condota out a little bit more. But um, the Seahawks are actually in Texas, where I volunteered to go because 
if you guys don't know this, Larry and I both love Fort Worth, Texas, and that's where the Seahawks stay when they play in Dallas. But Larry and I both love Fort Worth, Texas, more than one of our favorite places staying downtown there. And so they're playing there. So I volunteered to go as one of the backup riders, of course. I didn't get that, so I was a little disappointed. So I decided to fly back to Haver and see my family instead. Yeah, I uh, we, we divide up the trips, and uh, Matt Calkins has this one for the for the calmness. So, so I will be home for for Christmas, which is good. I think this year in particular, the kids, the two kids who are in college, are home for Christmas, and I'd feel bad if I were away. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy to be here. So our our Christmas tradition, we don't have a ton. Uh, we did used to do a gift exchange, but we got stopped doing that because, again, as you get older, you just buy your own stuff, you know. Uh, and um, but the one tradition that we do when I am here is we get this. There's this pizza place called Nalifka's, and we order um, two pizzas. And it, you know, it used to be my mom, my dad, and my sister, but now my sister is doing her own family thing. But so it's me and my mom and dad, and I think some of their friends are coming over. But we order some pizzas, and we have that. And we watch Christmas Vacation every year, hmm. me and my dad. And each year we go back and forth <clears throat> when I'm around. or it, We uh, take turns and we buy a bottle of bourbon or whiskey. You know, I prefer rye whiskey. He prefers bourbon. But we, we ba- go back and <laughs> forth. And then so we have our pizza and then we put the movie in. And we sip on bourbon and stuff and we watch the movie. And then after that, we end up playing, like, games, you know, like card games. You know, my parents play Pinochle, so I know how to play that. Like, if there's friends come over, my mom likes Scattergories and all these games where you look like an idiot. You know, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, that's <laughs> that sounds like one. fun. Yeah, no, it's fun. And it's, it's, I mean, look, I'm freezing my ass off here, okay? It's it's 11 degrees out. I've shoveled or had to use the snowblower four times in two days. This is not ideal for me. I've turned into a weather wimp since I moved to Western Washington. I can't handle the cold. So I'm staying indoors and whiskey will help warm my soul. I guess. (laughs) Well, I grew up in Southern California, so it's, it's still jarring to me when it gets to be 50 degrees in or, or, or below. So, um, you know, if 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 we were to have a a ranking of the seasons, winter would be my would be number four for me. Way oh. way at the bottom, way at the bottom. I'm not a big Christmas person. I'm not a big winter person. I'm, I'm counting down the days till get to go to Arizona for spring training. Actually, I get to go to Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl uh, next Wednesday. So even better, I get to escape the uh, the the cold for for a few days in in uh, december which is a, a nice bonus i am not counting down the days till spring training quite yet i'll get in that mode but this is this is helping motivate me i i don't know it's it's uh it's weird and then my mom hasn't started in on the christmas music yet usually that'll start where it's every day but the the hallmark movie christmas shows or the hallmark christmas movies on the hallmark channel that are on it is incessant. She will not turn them off. We ha- we have to have an intervention, or I'm going to call their local cable company, which stinks, and they don't have the Pac-12 network, so I can't watch the Grizz versus the Huskies tonight, and tell them to cancel that channel because I can't take it anymore. It's on every channel, everywhere. That's all. We yeah, well, well, I got to say that I'm I'm with you because my wife watches those. What is it about with a... that show? What is it about? Well, this... there, the, there's two channels. There's two Hallmark Christmas channels. Just 
devoted to Christmas movies 24 hours a day. And, and they're uh, awful every, movies. And every one of them has the same plot. The the woman meets the... Oh, the yeah. she's, she's dating the douchebag guy, <laughs> and she meets the nice guy who sweeps her off her feet but she's got to somehow dump the the douchebag and which she always does by the end of the movie and and lives happily ever after she finds the christmas spirit through the uh, the new nice guy and ends up with him so we just i just wrote a movie let's write a hallmark movie together and make make movie make a million and we can uh, you know then we could buy anything we want. Well, I could play the D bad guy because that's usually that's my that's kind of my <laughs> default method. So yeah. Oh, God. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling my pain on this. That, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not uh, not ideal. And I, I you'll get something good for Christmas, I'm sure. Oh, I know I will. They always come through. Maybe and, some. Uh, well, I you know I got you a Christmas present. You're using them right now. Headphones. That's right. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. They've not only do I use them for the podcast, I even use them for interviews now. I've discovered that it's opened up a whole new world for me. I can, I don't have to like cradle the cell phone in my neck and end up with like a sore neck for three days. I can put the. I, I know people are laughing at me now that I just discovered this, but uh, but I did. <laughs> oh, th- this week's episode of Technology with Larry Snow. <laughs> All right, I'll let you go. Thanks for coming on. All right, Merry Christmas. You too, Merry Christmas. All right, see you. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the X Trainings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. Thanks again to Larry Stone, our columnist, for getting on the phone and, and talking with me for about 50 minutes on his day off. Uh, we we had, always have a lot of fun. We never actually stay on topic. I mean, it's just one digression after another, but it's always fun, Larry and I talking. I think you can kind of tell how good of friends we are and how often we communicate because it's it's pretty much back and forth. Um, thanks to Midnight Salvage Company, the official house band of the Externings Podcast, for the music, as always. Uh, I hope you guys all have great Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, whatever it is that you guys celebrate. Uh, I hope, you know, you guys really enjoy that. Uh, all the best to you. And hopefully we will do one before the new year. Maybe we'll do some resolutions, you know, go all cliche. Um who knows? Well, I'll try and come up with some ideas. I still have some ideas for some readers that email me about some stuff that we can go over. And I'm still trying to get uh, Dr. Lorena Martin on the show and maybe even DePoto. But, you know, he's got his own podcast, so we'll figure that out. Um, once as once again, if you need to get a hold of me, uh, feel free to email me at rdivish at seattletimes.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on my Facebook page with my big ugly mug mugshot. So... Thanks again for listening. Uh, Again, have a good holidays, and I'll talk to you soon.